Please turn in your Bibles to Acts chapter 12. Tonight I'd like to read verses 6 through 17, and we're looking at verses 12 through 17. Again, let's listen to the Lord's word. On the very night when Herod was about to bring him forward, Peter was sleeping between two soldiers bound with two chains, and guards in front of the door were watching over the prison. And behold, an angel of the Lord suddenly appeared, and a light shone in the cell, and he struck Peter's side and woke him up, saying, Get up quickly. And his chains fell off his hands. And the angel said to him, Gird yourself and put on your, your sandals. And he did so. And he said to him, Wrap your cloak around you and follow me. And he went out and continued to follow. And he did not know that what was being done by the angel was real, but thought he was seeing a vision. When they had passed the first and second guard, They came to the iron gate that leads into the city, which opened for them by itself. And they went out and went along one street, and immediately the angel departed from him. When Peter came to himself, he said, Now I know for sure that the Lord has sent forth his angel and rescued me from the hand of Herod and from all that the Jewish people were expecting. And when he realized this, he went to the house of Mary, the mother of John, who was also called Mark where many were gathered together and were praying. When he knocked at the door of the gate, a servant girl named Rhoda came to answer. When she recognized Peter's voice, because of her joy, she did not open the gate, but ran in and announced that Peter was standing in front of the gate. They said to her, You're out of your mind. But she kept insisting that it was so. They kept saying, It is his angel. But Peter continued knocking, and when they opened the door, they saw him and were amazed. But motioning to them with his hand to be silent, he described to them how the Lord had led him out of the prison, and he said, Report these things to James and the brethren. Then he left and went to another place. Again, this is the Lord's word. Let's pray and ask the Lord's blessing. We again, Lord, thank you for this evening and pray now that your blessing will be upon your word as it goes forward. Blessing this servant, helping me, Lord, to faithfully deliver your truth. And I pray, Lord, that you would bless these people who who are sitting in this place tonight. You also joining us from afar. Uh, We ask, Father, that your word would be a blessing to them as well, encouraging and strengthening your saints for the days at hand. We do humbly ask these things now in Jesus' name. Amen. As I was studying and, and preparing for this evening's sermon, I was struck afresh how nothing ever really changes uh, in this world. The church continues to undergo persecution at the hands of wicked leaders. The world and its attitude towards the church does not change. The church and its attitudes towards prayer, uh, either the practice of it, and it's a, it was an interesting thing, uh, referring to some of the reformed uh, writers um, around the year 1500, Johann Spangenberg, he said this, we have been raised in Christendom, hardly even, uh, we who have been raised in Christendom, hardly even gather to pray together during the day. And if we are by each other at night, it is not so that we can pray, but rather so that we can gorge ourselves and get drunk. In the 1500s, during the Reformation, they had a difficult time even getting uh, people together to pray. Some things never change. The final thing that struck me about uh, the changes that aren't that don't come is our how slow we are 
to believe that the Lord does and can answer prayer on behalf of his people. And, and you look at this text, it's a sweet text, but it all reminds us how important, how desperately important the body of Christ is, how important it is that we would speak to one another concerning the great things the Lord has done. As you recall, we saw last week in verses 6 through 11 that the Lord delivered Peter out of a most impossible situation. And we're reminded that the, Lord's, the Lord will care for us. I'm convinced this is why Luke recorded this event with such detail, is so that we would read it and go, oh yes, and be refreshed in times where we are facing trouble. The Lord will care for us. Remembered Herod the king, that is King Agrippa I, had laid hands on some in the church in order to mistreat them. James, the brother of John, was put to death with a sword, and when he saw that it pleased the Jews, he proceeded to arrest Peter also. The church was undergoing persecution from the king. The church was undergoing persecution from the government. And as we've pointed out, as Luke has recorded, that the church is not without recourse. Uh, my friends, our hands are never tied when they are clasped in prayer. Our hands are never tied when they are clasped in prayer. The church's response to Peter being imprisoned was to pray fervently to God. This says it in verse 5, and this must be our recourse as well when confronted with trying times or difficult times. As Luke has recorded it, the Lord heard and answered the prayers of his people on Peter's behalf. In fact, the Lord's people must take to heart and not be overrun with fear in the face of danger, for what we have recorded here is for our encouragement that we should know that Christ our King has overcome. Herod had all this authority. He had an army, he had soldiers and guards, and he used his power to benefit himself and his position. But bear this in mind, that we have the Lord on our side. That, that should say everything. He is on the side of his people. Uh, the Lord of hosts is our Lord. He is not deaf, his arm is not short. He has the ability to do that which is impossible for us to do. And we see this very thing in the text that is before us. And so we are told in verse 11, when Peter came to himself, he said, Now I know for sure that the Lord has sent forth his angel and rescued me from the hand of Herod and from all that the Jewish people were expecting. Now you read a story like this and you say to yourself, that's all good and fine. That's a very nice story. But I don't see how that's germane to us today, living 2,000 years later. And we diminish these things. We say, these are, these, are, these are nice stories. But does the Lord really work this way? He doesn't work like this anymore, does he? These are accounts from long ago of people who were very important to him. And I've actually heard people say things like this. They will speak about the Lord knowing Jeremiah in the scriptures before he was, while he was in his mother's womb. And they say, yeah, but that was Jeremiah as if that doesn't apply to us. And I go, of course it applies to us. He knows each of us while we're in the womb. It just wasn't written down in scripture in so many words, but it says it there in Psalm 139 that we are fearfully and wonderfully. He knows our days from first to last. He knows the words on our, that come out of our mouth before they come out of our mouth. I mean, he knows this, this intimately. So we, we tend to distance ourselves from passages like this and say, that's a really nice story. But I don't think it has anything to do with me. And that's too bad. 
that we think this way because this is this is given to us I'm convinced to show us how the church reacted and how the church and how the Lord heard the church in the midst of its trial let me ask you this friends um, has the Lord changed in all this time has his ear uh, become dull has his eye grown dim has he dismissed his angelic army has he become less attentive to his creation or his creatures has he turned his back on his promises to never leave us or forsake us or has he said no I've changed my mind I, I decided I'm not going to be with you till the end of time of course he hasn't and yet all those things being true we still go yeah but I don't know if he's watching over me he is he is this passage is here and it is meant to encourage us that we should be fervent in prayer and to believe that he does answer the prayers of his people as they face hardship and not just some key people but for his people those uh, with whom he is in a relationship and covenant with because of Jesus Christ you are to believe that God is able to do the unbelievable and that is not me um, again trying to give you some kind of puff theology that is the lesson of this text that we are supposed to believe that God is able to do the unbelievable it encourages us um, as we read this to see how the Lord dealt with Peter and how Peter being delivered then sought out the church to share the truth uh, of his deliverance and that the church being slow to believe it uh, eventually does believe it and Peter shares these things and Luke records the whole event so that I would stand up here and read it to you to me and so that we might hear it and we might believe it so that when we're in the throes of in the throngs of struggles we will likewise call on the Lord and say well Lord you can do this you can do this now remember Peter I, I believe if you stopped at verse 6 and I said this last week if you stopped there and there was nothing else written, you would have assumed that Peter was as good as dead. And yet we found Peter, he was sleeping between the guards. He's not worried. If the Lord takes me, praise the Lord. If the Lord doesn't take me, praise the Lord. I'm, 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 I'm going to get some shut-eye. <laughs> and he's, he's resting in the Lord. But these things are written so that we would likewise take these things to heart and learn from them to trust the Lord, trust our God that he is capable of doing the, the impossible deliverances that we think could never happen. And, and, and again, why it's important is because we see that this whole context is based on Herod is persecuting the church. And we've been talking about it, and my wife even said she heard uh, Saturday morning on the news, she goes, you know, they don't report quite the same news stories on Saturday mornings as they do the rest of the week. She goes, they're a lot darker Saturday morning than they are. And she goes, they're really talking about the church and how these this new policies are going to affect the church. This is the reality, and, and I think it's it's on people's minds. But again, this is here to comfort us. Um, it is here to comfort us. Luke is doing what Peter did. That is sharing the truth of what the Lord has done. Notice what he does. Uh, first of all, he seeks to edify the church with the truth of what God has done. This is what Peter does. Verse 12. And when he realized this, he went to the house of Mary, the mother of John, who was also called Mark, where, Mary, uh, where many rather were gathered together and were praying. Peter realized something spectacular has just happened. 
we have this record of a great deliverance. Peter was not sure while these things were unfolding whether this was actually occurring. He thought, perhaps I'm having another vision. Remember what happens. The angel, as God's servant, has come to Peter while Peter was asleep between two guards under lock and key. The guards are guarding him, and the angel comes and wakes him up, instructs him, he loosens the bonds that were on his wrists, and he leads him through a gate. He leads him past a series of guards. He leads him through a gate that opens by itself. And then we're told, that, and they went out and went along one street, and immediately the angel departed from him. So imagine this. It's dark. It's in Jerusalem. The angel, the gate has opened. Peter and the angel walk out. Peter all the while is going like, is this a wild dream or what? And the angel leaves, and he comes to himself. <laughs> this is not a dream. I'm standing out here down the street from the prison cell. I wonder what I should do. Well, I know that there are people who have been praying for me. And the Lord has just delivered me in a wonderful way. I need to go and tell them the great things the Lord has done. And he says this in verse 11. I know for sure that the Lord has sent forth his angel and rescued me from the hand of Herod and from all the Jewish people from all that the Jewish people were expecting. The deliverance, the rescue of the Lord was not a dream. It was not imagined. The Lord indeed rescued him from the hand of Herod. Once he realized this, he was not going to remain silent about it. He seeks out those who have been praying for him in order to let them know that their prayers on his behalf have been answered and to bring them comfort. He does not plan to sit on the good news of what God has done. Friends, has the Lord ever answered your prayers? Have you ever seen the Lord answer your prayers? Have you seen his deliverance? And what do you do with the good news when the Lord has done uh, a mighty deed like this? What do you do with it? Do you sit on it as though you don't want to brag? I don't want to brag about how the Lord answered my prayers. Do you think you had something to do with that answer of prayer <laughs> other than your praying which in God's providence was ordained to this end do you, do you really think it's something that if, if you talk about the great things of the Lord you're actually bragging about yourself do you realize that the body of Christ is greatly encouraged when we hear what the Lord has done for us do you realize how great a need the church your brothers and sisters have to hear what great things the Lord has done I believe the body of Christ needs to hear this. And, and for this very precise reason. Because when we're in the thick of things, this is why you should read good Christian biographies, why you should read books like Fox's Book of Martyrs. Because you should hear and read how the Lord dealt with his saints throughout history. Because when it's your turn, you remember how the Lord has dealt with his people um, we read tonight in Psalm 145, Men shall speak of the power of your awesome acts, and I will tell of your greatness, said the psalmist. Peter does not sit quietly on the news of the Lord's rescue, but we are told that he went to the house of Mary, the mother of John, who was also called Mark. He went to where a portion of the church had gathered to pray. We're only told of this one prayer group. John Calvin said there most certainly must have been other prayer groups that are meeting. Remember, this is one woman's house. This isn't 
this isn't a house that's holding all the saints. There were likely, he says, many prayer groups that were assembled that night and praying for Peter. This is Mary, the mother of John, who was also called Mark. And therefore, <clears throat> Barnabas was a cousin of Mark, and that makes Mary the aunt of Barnabas. So you see, this is a very pious family, a very godly family. And, and Mary herself must have been quite a devout and stout-hearted Christian woman. She is living in Jerusalem during times of persecution. She lives in a rather large home, and she's likely a well-to-do woman, as she had a gate, an outer gate, in the wall that surrounded her house, which was a, a mark of someone of, of some wealth. And yet, what does this Christian woman do? During times of persecution, she opens her home up. And again, here's, here's a, wonderful, a wonderful challenge to us in times of persecution. We all want to lay so quiet that we don't want anyone to know we're a Christian. Now, don't get me wrong. She's a very shrewd woman, I believe. And we can draw this from the text. She's a shrewd woman. She's not reckless, but she's also not afraid. She opens her home, and the saints are gathered there, and they are praying. She has not um, said, no, no, don't, don't, don't come to my house. She's like, just be careful when you come to my house. Don't draw, don't come whistling or skipping down the street. Just come and let's gather and let's pray. <clears throat> She's not living in fear, but uses what she has to be a blessing to the people. Yet, as I said, she's not reckless as she keeps the servant girl guarding the gate and the prayer meeting is taking place while others are sleeping in town. In her house, she has a servant girl named Rhoda and probably her son, John Mark, is there as well. Uh, as well as a host of other believers who were praying fervently that Peter would not be murdered as James had been. As was said, Peter does not sit quietly on the Lord's great deliverance, but he comes to one of the many homes where there are prayer meetings taking place, intercession being made to the Lord on Peter's behalf, and he does so to encourage them. The Lord has answered prayer as well as to comfort them in the face of this persecution. Can you imagine the feelings of hopelessness and of abandon that the, the early church would have felt? James has been murdered. He's been run through or um, beheaded with a sword. He's been killed. Peter's been arrested. Two prominent leaders. What does the scripture say? The, the, the shepherd is struck and the sheep scatter. That's the, the, the kind of the, the, the tyrant on how they you know, attack the leaders of the church and the people will say, we're done. Um, they're, they're together. They're, they're praying. And I can only imagine the feelings of hopelessness and abandon and, and possibly even some of the despair that they must have felt. It must have truly been a very frightening time for these saints. And yet, what does Peter do? He says, I've got an obligation as a leader. I need to go put their minds at ease. I need to remind them that the Lord has heard their prayers on my behalf. He, he doesn't run away from them. He runs to them to inform them, to encourage them, to strengthen them that in the face of danger, you get busy and you pray. You pray and the Lord hears this. He hears this. So he has come to them to seek to edify them. But what we find is that they are quite slow to believe that the Lord has answered their prayers. And, and so, secondly, as we look at verses 13 through 16, we should believe the good news of what God has done. Or let me say it this way, 
we should not be slow to believe that the Lord is able to do the unbelievable. Sometimes when we pray, we lean on our own understanding and say, well, here's a really lackluster prayer request. <laughs> you know? Um, but but do, not, do not sell the Lord short. Do not think that he is not capable of blowing our minds when we pray. And, and I'm not... What can I say? You're never going to exhaust the power of the glory of the Lord. Pray big. Believe that the Lord is able to do the unbelievable. As Luke portrays this situation, it was really an impossible situation. There is no way Peter was going to get out of this. And Herod made sure that by putting 16 guards and chains and locked gates and all of this, he made sure of it. And yet the Lord does the unbelievable again listen when he knocked at the door of the gate a servant girl named Rhoda came to answer when she recognized Peter's voice because of her joy she did not open the gate but ran in and announced that Peter was standing in front of the gate they said to her you are out of your mind but she kept insisting that it was so they kept saying it is his angel but Peter kept knocking and when they had opened the door they saw him and were amazed it is a rather funny scene when you think about it, one that reveals what was going on in the hearts of those that had gathered. If Rhoda, the servant girl, had let Peter in initially, we would have not heard all of the doubts spill forward from these people. How true is this of the church today and throughout the ages who are slow of heart to believe in all that the prophets have spoken, meaning the prophets have said the Lord wouldn't abandon us. We have the whole entirety of the Old Testament scriptures where the Lord is doing mind-blowing things. I, I think of Daniel in the lion's den. I think of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. I think of the ark. I think of the, the Red Sea. I, I look at this and I go, what is impossible for our God? You realize he parted the Red Sea with a wind from the east. What's impossible for our God? You see, you're not supposed to say, well, that's not the answer. <laughs> he, there's nothing that's impossible for our God. Here, Peter has made his way to Mary's house. He knows where it is. He is no doubt, uh, has, uh, there's no doubt that he has been there many times before. He knocks on the door of the gate, and a servant girl who's watching this gate, named Rhoda, she comes to answer. And I, and I think it through in my mind. She comes to the gate. It's dark outside. She goes, Hello? he responds hello Rhoda it's me Peter she recognizes Peter's voice it says this in the text she recognizes it which means she knows Peter well enough she's been around him enough where she goes oh, I know that voice that's Peter she's excited she's excited she's overjoyed and perhaps uh, perhaps she's overjoyed because she really likes this guy and again I'm thinking of Peter I'm thinking he's a man who loves the Lord and he loves people He's, he's no doubt a salt of the earth, down-to-earth, jovial kind of guy. That's, that's my take on Peter. She loves this, this man um, as, as, a, as a brother in the Lord. So she's overjoyed, and she's also overjoyed because the people inside are praying fervently for him. But she's so overjoyed that she runs back into the house, neglecting inadvertently to open the gate to let Peter in. She runs in and announces to the group that's praying, Peter was standing in front of the gate. 
and they all jump up and give praise to the Lord. No, <laughs> that's not what happens. For what were they praying? That the Lord would deliver Peter, that the Lord would preserve his life. If he has to die, help him to die well. Why don't they believe Rhoda in her report? Was it because of a belief that it is too good to be true? That the Lord doesn't answer prayers like this for us? Oh, you have little faith? Why are we surprised when the God of wonders does wonderful things? We shouldn't be. We shouldn't be. <clears throat> but the Lord does. He does wonderful things. He does things that blow our minds. And not just for them, um, but he continues to do these things even today. So I mentioned a few. Daniel in the lion's den. Uh, we have talked often of Esther and the fact that the Jews were to be annihilated and they fasted. Uh, you've heard of Brother Andrew. He's one of my heroes. I, I loved Brother Andrew. It was a book that gripped me as a new, as a new believer. He um, would fill his little powder blue Volkswagen Beetle with Bibles and then he would drive to, I think it was Checkpoint Charlie. And, and the Bibles are just filling. They're just stuffed into this little beetle in the back seat. And as he's driving up to the checkpoint, he prays, Lord, when you were on earth, you made blind eyes to see. I'm asking now that you'll make seeing eyes blind. And the guard would come and poke in and search the car. And there's Bibles laying out in the open on the back seat. And after they'd examined, they say, all right, go on in. <laughs> and he said, it, it was the Lord's deliverance, the Lord's providence. You've read of George Mueller uh, back in, in England who started an orphanage. And, uh, there's an, and there's an account where there was no food for the children. He had hundreds of orphans. And he was praying, Lord, please provide. And he says, as I'm praying, a milk wagon broke down right in front of the orphanage and the guy comes to the door and says hey I've got a bunch of milk that's going to spoil do you know anyone who could drink it <laughs> and so you see these things where the Lord the Lord hears the prayers of his people and so we're confronted by hardships and we think he's done it in the past okay I'll acknowledge he's capable of doing fantastic things but would he ever hear the prayers of my prayers? Would he ever deliver on the prayers that I make? And the answer is, friends, of course. Because his eye is not dim towards us. His ear is not dull. His arm is not short. He is a father who loves, loves tenderly his people. He loves them tenderly. Why don't they believe her? Why do they say uh, to her announcement, what do they say to her announcements? They question her viability. They say, you're out of your mind. You're crazy. You're nuts. You don't know what you're talking about. But she was not crazy, and she kept insisting, writes Luke, that it was so. Then they offered another explanation. Okay, so you heard someone who sounds like Peter. It's his angel. And according to the Jewish Talmud, said one commentator, the Talmud taught that guardian angels assumed the appearance, and I'm assuming that that includes voices, of the persons they protected and thus served as their doubles. Though we've been praying and asking the Lord fervently to deliver Peter, we are having a difficult time believing that the Lord would actually hear our prayers and answer them. They struggle just like we, we do today. It is too good to be true. 
there must be another explanation. I, I, I can't imagine that the Lord would do this. Are you ever confronted by something that you say, this is, this is impossible? It's an impossible situation. That's where Peter was. That's where the church was. And the Lord is showing them and showing us, these things are not impossible for me. They're not. Ask away. We are told that Peter continued knocking, and when they had opened the door, they saw him and were amazed. Can you imagine that? While they're talking to her and arguing with Rhoda, they continue to hear this knocking. It is not Rhoda who goes to the gate this time, but we are told they go to the gate. A group of those now in Mary's house make their way to the gate and open the door. And it was not a figment of a desperately hoping servant girl. It was not Peter's angel. It was indeed Peter himself for whom they had been praying so fervently. And we are told that they saw him and were amazed. Amazed. Why? Because while they no doubt prayed for Peter's deliverance, my guess is they never truly believed that it would happen like they asked. Or, Calvin writes, Perhaps they prayed for a different for different things, for persecution to stop, for sheep not to be scattered. Um, and, and here he says that they were amazed because the Lord had gone so far beyond what they were even asking or thinking, which is entirely possible. There is no rebuke leveled against these believers in the text, yet we find that they were slow to believe, that the Lord would answer their prayers or that he was incapable of answering them as they had asked. They were amazed. They needed to believe that the Lord was able to do the unbelievable. My friends, he did uh, answer their prayers, and he does answer our prayers, and he will answer our prayers, and we mustn't doubt that he will care for us when our time comes, when we face the hardships that have confronted the church throughout the ages. And so what do we see Peter finally doing in verse 17 as we wrap this up? But motioning to them with his hand to be silent, he described to them how the Lord had led him out of the prison, and he said, Report these things to James and the brethren. Then he left and went to another place. What does he finally get to do? He gets to share the good things, the great things that the Lord has done. Of course, they are amazed and excited as they have opened the gate. Peter is no longer in prison. He is now with them. It is in the wee hours of the night, and so he motions them to them to be quiet. We don't want to draw undue attention to ourselves. Then he described to them how the Lord had led him out of, out of the prison. Now listen to what he does. He, he, he describes to them what the Lord has done. He gives them a blow-by-blow description and as they're, they're talking about this, you imagine these people who have been so fervently praying, they've been afraid that their leaders are, have been taken, that uh, this persecution is a very serious thing. This time they have got us on the run. They're, they're going to overpower us. And Peter describes all about the angel. Yeah, I was stuck between guards. I had chains on each wrist. I was just sleeping there, and I feel this, this something pump me in the side. He says, get up. <laughs> and the the cell was just flaming bright. I mean, it was brilliant in there. He tells me to put on my sandals and wrap my cloak around me. And 
and guards aren't waking up and I'm standing up and I'm walking through the guards and then we get to the big iron gate and that leads into town and, and it just swung right open and he walked me down a, a street and lo and behold he's gone and, and here I am and you can imagine the people hearing this and, and the joy that they would feel the people with the tears coming down their faces as they they they're reminded how the Lord loved them and listened to them he heard their prayers it's a wonderful picture. They no doubt are greatly encouraged as they are reminded that the Lord was near to them during this hardship and that Peter has been spared and his work is not done. This message is for us. The message is for us, friends. This is the way we need to approach the Lord. This is the way we need to uh, confront hardships in the times in which we're entering with prayer and with believing that the Lord will do exactly what he wants to do. He will either take us to glory or he will let us live to see another day to serve him, but he will never abandon us. And he is perfectly capable of doing the most impossible deeds that we thought never could happen. He finally instructs this group of believers to report these things to James and the brethren. We don't sit, squash good news. We share good news. It's believed that uh, by some that Peter is now appointing his successor while he himself becomes a fugitive. It does tell us that uh, then he left and went to another place. We're not told where Peter went. My guess is he went and found his wife and said, sweetheart, it's time for us to go. Let's pack our bags and get out of town. And so, and we see him, again, he pops up in other places in the New Testament, but we're not told where he goes. But notice, James needs to be told, and the brethren need to be told. The, uh, James, the half-brother of the Lord, is told, and, uh, and the brothers need to know. They need to know that I'm good, that the Lord has rescued me, and they also need to know, uh, these things so that they will be comforted and so that they too will not be slow to call upon the Lord or to doubt his help in times of need. This is the lesson for us. This is the encouragement that Luke records so that we too may be encouraged. Let's pray. We thank you, Father, again for this evening and thank you for your word. We thank you for the encouragement we draw from this, this very detailed account of how your people, um, in the midst of, of trial and persecution, how they um, no doubt floundered a, a bit um, and did what was absolutely right. They called upon you. And we thank you, Father, for this record that reminds us that when we feel as though our world is out of control, um, we needn't worry, but we should pray. So, Father, we do pray. We ask that you would be watching over your people and that you would encourage us, Father, not to be, not to draw back, not to, to be afraid, uh, but that we would walk wisely and cautiously, but that we would also be bold in, in entrusting ourselves to you because we know, Lord, that you are able to do things that would blow our mind. And so, Father, we entrust ourselves to you afresh and ask that you will grant us your peace and that we would um, firmly stand upon you uh, and rest in the hands of our Savior, in whose name I pray these things. 
Amen.